All right, everybody. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the 306 Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, it is Tuesday evening, recording for our Wednesday, January 31st episode, episode 115. Uh, this week, we are kind of in a in a little bit of, a, a, I guess, a little break, I suppose, from NFL football. We have the uh, Pro Bowl coming up here, which is perfect timing for us. We always do our uh, previous year's fantasy awards of the fantasy season. So it's a perfect time for us. Uh, just uh, Zach and I this week, uh, Arm has got a big basketball game this evening. So uh, the two of us will be kind of cracking things out here. But uh, I guess before we get started here, we'll say hello to Zach and see what he's been up to here. And then we'll uh, we'll get the ball rolling on the episode. You know, not, uh, not too, too much over here. Uh, I know, I'm sure you guys as well, or maybe not so much in the elementary schools, but I'm sure Armin's feeling the grind, uh, report cards, progress reports, uh, whatever our divisions call them. Uh, those are right around the corner here. So been busy with that. And then just, uh, just life itself. Yeah. I've been basically wanting to die in, in a hole <laughs> somewhere. And this is, uh, the worst week of my life borderline. We'll call it that. I've uh, been a real tough couple days here. Actually, legit, actually was sick yesterday was the worst part. So after a super tough loss, had to battle through because we had uh, meetings all day. So I had to battle through an emotional roller coaster and having like a chest cold. So I was doing presentations, not feeling great. So like mentally ill and physically ill at this moment, uh, following a super, super tough Sunday matchup. Um <laughs> Before we get started, like we'll talk about uh, the talk about the episode. We're gonna get into the football word stuff like that. But like, what a what a roller coaster that game was, and I don't know how to describe it other than that. Because like, it, I was saying to a buddy of mine, we were talking football, and I said, you know what? This is like the this is like just how football goes. If you would have told me Saturday night, you know, I'm I'm nervous about the game, whatever. You told me Saturday night, it's gonna be an incredible game. The over is going to get smashed and the Lions lose by three points. I'd have been like, you know what? I can live with that. Like, I can live with that. You, they they went in, had a good game. Offense went back and forth and you lost a tight one. I can live with that. But knowing what we know, I cannot live with that three-point loss. Like, that was the worst thing on the history of the face of the earth. Like, a 17-point lead in halftime. And, yeah, I, I'm very curious to get your take because – I think I'm in the minority of this and maybe it's because I'm a Lions fan. I know what it's all about. I'm, I'm not upset with going on, on fourth down. I'm not. Yeah. You know, okay. But it's six, you're leaving six points out there. Our field goal kicker percentage was well below 40% from 45 yards on. So like, okay, we are 15 for 20 on fourth downs throughout the season, two for two on fourth downs in, uh, in the playoffs. Like I'm not opposed to the only head scratcher I'd say about it is, then why not go for and fourth down on the two yard line right before the end of the second or out of the second quarter? That's the only head scratcher. Like, why'd you play it safe there and then go for it and whatever? Like, we could talk about that forever. But I'm curious, do you think that was the wrong decision or like that's what got you there? Aggressive play calling. So be aggressive. I'm curious on your opinion. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, well, I wouldn't uh, classify this as the worst thing in the history of the world, as you uh, generously put it. Well, for um, this 48 hours, it is. Maybe tomorrow <laughs> won't feel like it. But for 48 hours, it will. Yeah, fingers <clears throat> crossed, right? Um, yeah, geez, I don't know. Um, like hindsight's 2020. That's the thing I got to say. I, I guess in the moment, yeah, I'll say what I felt in the moment. I think in the moment, I felt maybe not the best idea. Uh, you're You're in a tight game and... Like you're just that gap is getting smaller, 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 and now you're now you're falling behind. You got to come back. I don't think you have to come back all at once. I think you can come back one piece, one step at a time. Um, kind of like getting um, like a first down. You don't have to get all ten yards in one goal. You have a few cracks at the bat at the ball there. So get a field goal, live to fight another day. But I will say if that is what your team and your philosophy is built around and you're going to go for it. Maybe don't put the ball in Josh Reynolds hands oh, or his chest or his face mask or like <laughs> yeah. 
My right goodness. between the numbers. Like, oh, like go that's... go to go to Amon Ra. Granted, I'm sure that is also what the Niners were thinking. So then go to Laporta, uh, hammer it down their throats with Montgomery, or stretch the field, uh, sideline to sideline with. Uh, uh, geez, I'm going to say Swift there, but it's not Swift. Uh, uh, Gibbs. Gibbs, yeah, thank you. So the first, the first play I can four say really off, good, oh, sorry, go ahead. four really good playmakers, and you're going to who, would, who I would consider to be their fifth or sixth best playmaker. Um, I don't know if you're going to consider Williams uh, as, as dependable as Reynolds, but he certainly more explosive so I, I i don't know so on the first one it's, it's the first one i can tell you though they for sure were trying to get it to gibbs like i was just the way it was set up they're trying to get him to chip chip release on the left but the pressure came so quick that he had to step up in the pocket and the play didn't develop the way they wanted to like that first one i could I'll, i could tell you right now if you go back and watch it for sure he's trying to get gibbs releasing to the left <clears throat> like that was the first one the second one, I thought he was trying to get Laporte on the backside, but the pressure came too. So I can't say for sure in the second one. The second one, the, the pocket collapsed and it turned into a disaster quick. But the first one, for sure, they were trying to get it to Gibbs, which it was there. It was open. But the pressure just disrupted you to step in the pocket, and then the timing of it was was out to lunch, So, which is the unfortunate part. But that game, <clears throat> like, I'm going to watch it back eventually, and I, just because I'm uh, glutton for punishment, but... Like, that was an incredible football game. But it came down to the Lions lost the game in three plays that happened in about a five-minute span. They went for on fourth and two, didn't get it. Then two plays later, they throw that Hail Mary, whatever, nine route that should have been interception, would have hit my two interceptions I called for for Purdy. Instead, <laughs> it hit him in the face mask and completed a 75-yard touch. Uh, well, not touchdown, but it landed on the one. They smashed in for the next play. And then it's like, okay, shitty. I mean, I shouldn't sit swear, I guess. Crappy situation, but that's football. Bounces don't go your way sometimes. That's football. Okay, let's just get back into rhythm here. Let's run the ball. Let's get comfortable again. Like, we still got a 10-point lead. Then you fumble it in the next play. Like, in a span yeah. of four plays, that game got completely flipped. And then the game was over. Like, that was the game. And it's a game of inches. It's a game of momentum. And there was zero momentum for the 49ers in the first half. Zero. Like nothing. Uh, but, yeah, I could sit here and talk about this game for hours and hours. And I <laughs> I got home. I watched the game with a buddy across the street. He's a big-time Lions fan. And I got home. Like I just did not want to talk about it. Like nothing. Didn't want to even talk about <laughs> nothing. So I just sit down. I, I'm like choked. I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. I'm like all of the above. I just sit down on the couch in front of my wife and she goes, so tough one, eh? Cause she watched it by herself on the couch. That's and funny. I like, I didn't even have like, I, I couldn't say anything. I was just like, so frustrated. I couldn't say anything. She goes, Oh, that mad. eh?" And I was like, <laughs> yeah, just give me a moment. Like this is pretty, pretty crappy, but you know what? 48 hours have gone on. Like life moves on. It's just, like I said, if they would have lost a close back-and-forth game by three, everybody's saying, man, what a year for the Lions. Like, they had a good year, nearly knocked off one of the top teams in the NFL. This was a great year. But now it's unfortunately overshadowed by one of the biggest blow-ups in playoff history next to the, you know, the the Patriots in Atlanta come back. The, what is it, 20? 28-3. 20, 28-3. Yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. the biggest, and this is the second biggest. So, so I can uh, I can certainly relate. Like uh, whenever like whenever I talk about that uh, the 07 Pats team there, the like the seventeen and oh sorry seventeen and one team, um or whatever it was like I think it was like nineteen and one, um whatever it was, it's always. They rewrote the record books, revolutionized uh, the modern NFL passing attack. But really, all I can remember, the most vivid memory of that season is uh, David Tyree. <laughs> yeah, I was say, <laughs> that was so brutal. I can Look, tell you so... exactly where I was, what oh. I was wearing, 
uh, and the roller coaster of emotions that was that fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's like the whole part of that fourth quarter. Like I didn't even—I should say—I didn't lose hope. I was like stressed the max, but I was like, "There's still a chance. Like there is mm-hmm. still a chance." And Brock Brock Purdy exposed one of the biggest weaknesses on that line's defense. Not like their secondary is by far the worst, but they just give up so many yards to the quarterback, and that's why I was super concerned about you know a quarterback like Lamar possibly in the Super Bowl that he was just gonna trample on them because they just give. He rushed for was at sixty five yards and put the nail in the coffin, like put the game on ice and. I had hope till the end as a true Lions fan. I had hope till the end until my soul was ripped outside of my chest, but I'm looking forward to next year. Big news today, Ben Johnson returning. So that's, uh, that's huge. The, uh, I was very concerned that he was going to leave and of the two coordinators that were getting interviews, uh, he was the one I was more confident on that he was going to leave. And I think has the biggest impact if he did leave. Like that guy is an offensive mastermind. Uh, two years in a row, he's shown that he's been very creative and he knows how to get the ball in the hands of his players. So coming back next year, I'm super excited. Already looking forward to offseason, already looking forward to free agency, already looking forward to, you know, the draft, just seeing how this team can go from, you know, the one of the best seasons in franchise history <clears throat> to getting the team better and hopefully come back next year. But I know I'm not, you know, it's, it's easy to say, but they're going to have a tougher road there. They're going to have a tougher <laughs> schedule. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be tough sledding, but already optimistic. It was a, it was a great year and, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun and it's get the first one off the back. And I just can't, I still just can't believe it. It happened the way it happened. But anyways, we'll, we'll get into the episode here. Uh, we'll stop talking about the lines before I start crying live on the air here. Um, so 22 quick question of the week here. We're talking a little bit about next year. I know this seems like so far in advance. But it's just fun to talk about a little bit because this year I wouldn't classify either of these teams a dark horse. Maybe the Chiefs you would consider them a dark horse of the teams that made the playoffs because this is one of the worst Chiefs teams we've seen in the last, whatever, six, seven years. And somehow can't bet against the Chiefs. They made it to the Super Bowl. But we're having some fun. Next, next year, we're talking about who is two dark horse teams that you could see making it to the Super Bowl. And Armin's not here today, but uh, I'll talk about his. He has the Texans over the Packers. The Packers, that's one that could be a little sneaky. That's a team that could very well win the NFC North next year. They're going to have a little bit of an easier schedule compared to the Lions. Uh, very young team, lots of experience, uh, a big playoff win this year. Uh, and, and same thing can be said about the Texans on the other side too. So two teams that are going to be very sneaky next year, and, and those are Armour's picks. Um, Zach, who are your two teams? I was, like Armand, thinking the Texans um, didn't want to put a, a duplicate there, so I went with uh, Cincinnati and Arizona. Um, I think both of those teams are in a position to uh, greatly upgrade areas of weakness um, in the upcoming NFL draft. Uh, Cincy, they are picking 18th overall, and that's they're not going to get one of the top two or three tackles, uh, but they could probably get a you know the fourth or fifth best tackle off the board if they were so inclined, and I think that would really go a long way in shoring up that offensive line. Uh, hopefully, Burrow back a hundred percent, get them back into the playoff picture, and then the the Cardinals, Arizona, picking fourth overall, as well as twenty seventh overall, uh, you know. Get more, get more, uh, I guess, high impact players on that team. Uh, that fourth overall pick, if they sit there, I think there's a real good chance that you might be seeing Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, in Arizona with with Kyler Murray would be very exciting. Yeah, that's since he was one that I really wanted to put down, but I was like, ah, are they really a dark horse? But then at the same time, like I picked a team that's eh, not really a dark horse. So <laughs> kind of in the same bad way. But when I saw the Arizona one. I was like, oh man, that's it's a sneaky one because everybody's like, oh, they were terrible this year. They're a top four draft pick. Yeah. They also didn't have their starting quarterback for three quarters of the season. And when they mm-hmm. did, they looked actually, you know, like pretty good, knocked off some big teams some big upsets. There's also moments where they looked not so great, but a lot of it was because like you said, they didn't have high impact players. So that first pick is going to be, I would, I would anticipate a major offensive weapon. And then the second pick would be, you know, um, 
I think they're mocked right now to get a, a defensive uh, defensive tackle. So we'll see what ends up happening there. Uh, maybe it gets an edge rusher, but something else to get a little bit more movement off the line would be a lot of fun for that team. I went Rams over Jacksonville. The Rams are the team that's like, um, are they a dark horse? They just made the playoffs. They look really good. The offense is clicking. Uh, that's a team that I can see um, doing something here in the offseason. They, they're the team that capitalized on fifth-round picks better than anybody in the NFL. It's unbelievable. They haven't had a first-round pick in, I think it's five seasons. Uh, so I'm curious to see what they do this offseason with having some refound success after a difficult year of injuries last year. Uh, the offense looked one of the best it's ever been. Uh, so now it's just kind of maintaining some of the pieces. If they can continue on that movement, see what happens with Sean McVay, et cetera, et cetera. So a team that I'm very interested in watching uh, next year. And then Jacksonville. I think that's like the dark horses of all dark horses because they had high expectations uh, this this season and they flopped big time. And predominantly is because they went so bad down the stretch. So they had a really great start to the season and then it kind of dwindled. So I'm curious on how that's going to shake out. A lot of free agents. So they're going to have to try and replenish either some of those players by resigning some of them. Uh, while they're drafting, they're going to lose a lot of offensive, or I should say a lot, but there's a, a chance they lose quite a few offensive pieces there. Uh, so they're going to have to bolster a little bit of an offense around Trevor Lawrence again, which is going to open them up to possibly being a, a big dark horse and, and a team I'm going to watch, like I said, quite uh, quite closely this offseason. Um. Insiders and headlines, I already talked about the Ben Johnson thing. Lots of coaching movement. Uh, we don't talk about the coaches that much until uh, the offseason. But <clears throat> the one thing I will mention is the Super Bowl is set. Uh, we have the Chiefs who uh, beat the um, beat the Baltimore Ravens. That was a very, very low-scoring affair. And then, obviously, I mentioned before, the 49ers uh, beating the Lions, 34-31. Um, okay, so first, Zach, I got I to gotta go out here. Remember when I said the hottest take of hot takes on the podcast? <laughs> I yep. How close was I to hitting that whole thing? All the check marks, like uh, it was incredibly uh, close. Before before halftime, you were bang, bingo, nailed it. <clears throat> yeah, the like even Debo, I wouldn't even say he was like a major factor. Like he wasn't like the biggest piece. There was, I'd say Purdy was above average, made some big plays. McCaffrey, they held him to I think it was thirty yards rushing at halftime. That wasn't even part of my hot take. That was something I mentioned off the podcast. Um, Debo was very much irrelevant. Purdy should have had two interceptions. One hit a guy right in the face mask. Can't ask for much more than that. And they had a 17-point lead, which covered my six and a half. At first, I said nine and a half. And I was like, that's a little crazy. But then I was like, oh, my God, nine and a half would have hit. This is insane. And anyways, that's it's a hot take for a reason because it still didn't hit regardless. <laughs> um We'll go studs of the week, and then uh, our matchups, our pickums will be next week before the Super Bowl, and then our DFS as well. But uh, I will mention that Zach has a commanding lead in the DFS portion. But studs of the week, <clears throat> Armin with CMC. I just hate the fact that he's not on the pod right now, and I have to talk about how good CMC was. But the thing is, like, I don't even think he was that good. Like, he had the big run at the end, which really bolstered his his points. I think he ended up getting a 40 ish, give or take run uh, late in the fourth and then subbed out. And then the, um, what's his name there? Backup. Mitchell. Back. Yeah. Elijah Mitchell punched it in. So they held like other than him punching it on the goal line. I thought they held him in check pretty good, but at the end of the day, his stat line is still a CMC stat line. Uh, he had 20 carries, 20 carries for 90 yards and they had him, for 50 yards for most of this game, which was incredibly frustrating uh, because I thought they were, they had held him in check very, very well. Um, but like I said, two touchdowns in the red zone uh, was another uh, four receptions on five targets and 42 yards. He had the big one right in the first quarter. I think it was 30 yards or 20 yards right in the first quarter. I was thinking, Oh my goodness, this is gonna, this is gonna be stressful. And then they bottled them up. Like I said, they, they did a good job and just unfortunately got uh got burned out by the end. So that's all I have to say on the CMC front without getting real frustrated again. <laughs> um, Zach, your stud of the week. I said, when we did the DFS, I was like, you know what? That's a sneaky pick. And I really wanted to get in my lineup and I just couldn't do it. And whole oh, wow. What a pick it was. Yeah. I, uh, if there was ever a time to brag, I think it's right now. Um, I was at the in-laws uh, they had a big birthday party for my wife's uncle. So loads of people in the house, not really, not a really 
football, even like the sports family. It was just uh, my father-in-law and I watching that game. And when JMO cracked that run in the first quarter, I was celebrating like, like we just won the championship. I was so, so was excited. I. So <laughs> yeah, was I I. <laughs> uh, probably for very different reasons. Um, I was, I was behind you guys in uh, that DFS comp and I uh, really needed a big game from JMO and, and he came through. Uh, uh, Jameson Williams had one rushing attempt for 42 yards and a score uh, two receptions, 25 yards, and another score. And when I was announcing that pick last week, I, I said he could go for, you know, three targets or three receptions, 70, 72 yards and a score, or he could go for three receptions and seven yards, no scores. This surpassed my wildest expectations I did not expect two scores. Um, this one had three. Yeah, thrilled and was, with this. And that was a long one too. Like that, that would have been like a sixty-yarder for three scores. Like that, you would have had a big one. Yeah, Goff <clears throat> ripped that ball from midfield. Um, but I think this kind of just goes to like to show the the confidence that I had in him coming out. Uh, not this past draft but the draft before um as a big believer in him and his ability uh and to this point we haven't really seen it uh on a consistent basis but when he has the ball in his hands he is electric um he is a dynamic athlete and if the lions are able to uncork that potential and make him a consistent part of that offense I think uh, they'll take a very strong offense to maybe one of, if not the top offenses in the league between him, Amon-Ra, and Laporta. And that's not even mentioning the two backs. That's <clears throat> He's like, we comped him to being like a Tyreek Hills type where he's just so fast, so explosive, and could house a ball at any moment. That's what we talked about coming out of the draft. That That was the guy. Then he was hurt for an entire season. Then he got the suspension and then was hurt in the offseason while he had the suspension. So we haven't even seen him have a full go training camp, a full go, not even a half a season have we seen yet. So um, a lot of people are like super out on him. I'm cu- I'm curious to see what's going to happen with his value as it fluctuates here in the offseason because now like at least there's like a little like cherry on top, you know, like there's a little – a little crumb there that's like, hey, look, look what this guy's capable of doing. And it's all going to come down to, I think, if the Lions are able to, excuse me, to resign certain players there. Reynolds, uh, Cleef Raymond, there's some players that are in limbo for contracts. Also, uh, what's his name that he got in a trade from um, from Cleveland, uh, 25-year-old, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, Peoples-Jones? Uh, no, Peoples-Jones. Yeah, Peoples-Jones, thank you. Um, I think he's a, yeah, I, I can't see them. Well, maybe they bring him back, but yeah, he was more of a death piece, I think, at this point, just because of possible injuries. But there's lots of offensive weapons that need to be resigned, including Goff and Amonra is going to have a contract coming up in the near future as well. Um, so that, that's a name that's going to be interesting because he is a first round. You can use the I don't know if they will, especially with the like what they've used, what, what he's produced so far. I don't know if they'll use the um, you know, they'll they'll be able to put the tag on him for an extra uh, year with what he's done. But if he has a huge year this year in his third season, we have the third season, fourth season, and then possibly a franchise tag for his fifth season. So we, like when, <clears throat> when you talk about teams with the windows and we talked about lines lots already, but I'm going to throw one more thing out there. There's like, this is an exciting time for that team because if they can get their defense going, they talk about windows and predominantly it's around like the quarterback wing window because you only have so much time before you have to pay a quarterback big money and it soaks up a lot of your, you know, available, available cap space. The Lions have the sixth most cap space in the NFL right now. And they have essentially, well, Laporta, Gibbs, Amonra still currently. And then, um, and then uh, sorry, um, Jameson Williams all still on rookie contracts for an extensive period of time. And, 
two or sorry, three of the five or two of the uh, two of the mentioned or, or first round picks. So you have those for five year possible windows. Like it's there's a window for the lines here, especially with not only having mentioned the young defensive guys. Like if they can you know, splash their possibly fancy team for free agents that are super excited about the possibility going like. I know it just ended. I should be super bitter and upset, but like I'm excited to see what happens this this offseason for this team and and how they you know manage this window that that they have because it'll be interesting. There's lots of teams that you know technically are missing their quote unquote window, like the Bills, the the Bengals. There's teams that are are whiffing with their windows, and who knows if that's the lines or not. But I'll finish off, this. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Off the top, yeah. Sorry. Off the top of your head, do you know? what uh golf's contract status is i know like, he's not a free agent this year but like no, is but it they've been talking about it since like week eight that they're gonna talk extension this off season especially if he produces and and you know i'm I'm about to mention golf he's my stud of the week even though he wasn't the biggest stud this week i'm going to talk about him a little bit just about his performance this playoffs but um they're talking about i i've read things on twitter from they're going to give him top five money I've saw something that they're going to try and make him the number one paid quarterback in the NFL, which if they do that, that is a huge mistake. Like golf was great. Golf has been good. Golf is not Lamar Jackson. Golf is not Joe Burrow. Golf is not like uh, Patrick Mahomes. Like that would be a huge mistake. Does he deserve a new contract? Absolutely. Does he deserve top money? Top 10? Sure. Top 10. Uh, but I think, anything over top five would be a, would be a huge mistake for the lines, but they, they can still go one more year with, with uh, negotiations and play out with a, without a contract, but it just puts things in limbo. You just spent a, was it a third round pick on, on Hendon hooker? What, what is, where does he play into this? Cause he missed the whole season with an injury as well too. So I, I'm not sure, but he, he does have this year. I think he has one more full year on his contract, but off, that's off the top of my head. I can't say for sure. Right. No, for sure. I think that's the hard thing with, with with quarterback contracts, though. Like, to me at least, it seems like every new quarterback contract resets the market if you're, like, a top 10 guy. Yeah. Like, we're going to see Kirk Cousins here probably get a bundle of money. Yeah. It's not going to be a big contract like the contracts of, of Herbert and Burrow and Jackson, et cetera. But it's going to be like a two-year, three-year contract for a lot of money. And I think when it comes time for um, for Goff to sign that contract, it might be a similar deal where that age is a bit of a factor, but he's still going to get big money per year. Like sign a four-year, four-year with a fifth-year option and like big money through those four years. Yeah, something along those lines where it's still per year a lot of money but just the, the length isn't necessarily there yeah like you're not going to see the seven year 150 million or whatever some of those or the what is it 250 million the most recent biggest call i can't remember what the and it's all was it 225 guaranteed was the the sean one i'm trying to remember off the top of my head like something, something even, like that yeah, but. couldn't even guess anyhow um so let's keep talking about golf he he's my stud of the week and you're going to say, okay, 25 for 41, 273 and one. That's, that's not a stud, like, especially when it comes to fantasy, but just the eyeball test. I talked about when they played the Rams and the very first pass he made to Josh Reynolds through triple coverage, just zipped it in bingo. Like it was in stride. I just knew right then, like he's dialed in, he's dialed. I didn't see that type of confidence, that zinging of the ball that, you know, like dialed in against, uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I definitely saw that against San Francisco. He was confident. He was flinging it. Jared Goff turned the ball over zero times in the playoffs. And he had one of these major, massive, long streaks of of no turnovers. Uh, And then it broke against Green Bay, I believe it was. Green Bay um, during Thanksgiving. And then he broke it a couple times. Then he threw a lot of interceptions down the stretch. And I was like, oh, no, what are we doing here? And then all of the reporters, all the analysis, all the, you know, the big guys that talk football said, <clears throat> Jared Goff's going to turn the ball over. He needs to protect the ball. That's the key to the line success. He didn't turn the ball over once this entire playoffs. He should have had a pick against Tampa Bay in the end zone. They dropped it, but stat line still stayed clean. Very seldom he took sacks. A lot of that goes to the offensive line. 
uh, but he was incredible. And uh, you know what? Like he doesn't, he's, I, I don't think he should get top five money, but he is not the dumped as an extra in the contract or the trade of the, you know, the Matthew Stafford trading more like he really rose to the occasion this season. And then especially in the postseason, he was very, very good. Um, his only blemish in that game was when he overthrew Laporta in the end zone. If they hit that, this is a total different story, but that's like a game of inches. Like that's not like a major, like, Oh my goodness, you made a huge mistake. You're getting rushed in the pocket. You try to get it out early and, uh, and overthrew Laporta as he was just trying to catch it in the end zone. But like all things considered three games against, I would say two incredible defenses and one like really good defense. That's, that's some really good numbers for uh, for a guy that's seen as an outside top 15 quarterback. So, um, you know, he, he doesn't have a chance to do it again, unfortunately, this season, but he uh, he was very, very good. And I, and I got to give him got to give him a tip of the cap because he uh, he's going to get some money and I think he deserves it. Um, getting into the uh, meat and the potatoes of this episode. <laughs> Excuse me. I talked about the uh, fantasy playoffs. Uh, sorry, fantasy awards. My apologies. Uh, we'd always do it during the uh, during the Pro Bowl break. Just gives us a nice little segue between the NFL playoffs and then the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. So uh, we'll get things going here. This week, we're going to talk about the nominees, the nominations for the awards. A little bit about them, a little bit about what the award means, and then we're going to put everything out on social media, allow all the listeners at home to be able to vote on this. Like, we have a little bit of input. Same as you, we get one vote per per award. And then once those votes go in, we tally the winners and then we'll announce it uh, at the start of next episode here. So we'll get things started with the first award. Uh, so the 2023 Fantasy Awards, uh, the first award is the biggest bust. Uh, and looking at these biggest busts, we have unfortunately three pretty big running backs and then one really big quarterback. Uh, so the the first one uh, is Austin Eckler, and his ADP was the 104 and RB2. And he, he, I say 104, he could have been anywhere in that mix. There was the Justin Jefferson, there was Jamar Chase, there was CMC, and there was Austin Eckler. They kind of went in that little four-pack of, of rotations. So when you think of the RB2, the ADP 104, you would expect some pretty big numbers from a guy um, that's done it lots uh, in an offense that likes to move the ball, an offense that passes the running back lots, a guy that's incredibly explosive. But when you look at the numbers of what he was capable of doing, he was very, very poor. So um, this is a name, I mean, if you're in Dynasty, I'm very curious on what is going to happen with him. But he finished as the 98th player overall. Um, which if you're the drafted is the 104 is awful. Uh, he was RB number 28 and, you know, not great. That's the way I can put it. Not great. He had a huge week one, then got injured, then on the bye. And then from then on, he had a couple nice games and then just incredible downhill from there. So that's number one. Number two, Tony Pollard drafted a two of three RB six. Uh, had a lot of hype around him coming in the off season. No more Zeke. This is Tony Pollard's season. Um, didn't do great. Same thing. Tony Pollard was a massive failure in all things considered. He had some big weeks, uh, same as Austin Eckler, but overall finished as the RB 15 and the 52, 52nd player. Sorry. Overall had a couple nice weeks, but a little more consistent in like the sevens and eights, which is going to put him a little bit over Austin Eckler, but still not great. The third running back I'm going to talk about is Josh Jacobs. And Josh Jacobs was incredibly good the year prior, but got the injury bug this season. Finishing as RB27 and 95 overall. Same thing, had some big spike weeks at 23.9, 17.4, but then finished the season, uh, week 15, 16, 17, uh, not playing at all and injured in week 14. And the last name I'm going to mention is Patrick Mahomes. Now, this seems kind of funny because he's about to play for the Super Bowl, but we're not talking Super Bowl, we're talking fantasy. And one of the worst offenses uh, of Patrick Mahomes' career, he finished as QB8, um, 11th player overall. But when you think about the quarterback position, the numbers are a little bit heightened. 
when you're drafted the 207 QB number one, that takes a huge, huge chunk of your value uh, when you're drafting. A, a, obviously, a second-round pick, that could be really any big players. You could have ended up with Keenan Allen, who had a, a massive year, even though Keenan Allen was drafted quite a few rounds later. Guy like Amonra, guy like maybe Tyreek Hill, depending on your leagues, if it's a super flex, et cetera. But uh, Patrick Mahomes had one of his worst years. So that is who I'm going to, uh, to wrap it up for the top four biggest busts. So it's going to leave you at home to vote. All right. So Zach, you will take over the next one here. And next on the docket, we have the waiver wire stud. Yeah. So this one, uh, I think it's an interesting one. Um, because perhaps to, to to people that might mean different things, um, to me the the waiver wire stud is somebody that was initially undrafted at the end of uh, your your draft. Um, now you can make an argument waiver wire stud could be somebody that was dropped after the first week or two, but I think for argument's sake. Uh, we are under the assumption that these players, uh, these nominees are players that uh, by and large in most regular um, friend or, uh, you know, city, small town drafts were undrafted. Um, and the first nominee would be uh, Puka Nakua, who on the season uh, finished with 246 half-point PPR points. Uh, his season uh, was a little volatile. He had seven games where he was a uh, a top 10 um, re- receiver on the week. And then he had two other games where he was the 11th and 13th receiver that week. So just on the cusp. Um, but then he had a few other weeks where uh, week number six, he was the 59th receiver. Uh, week eight, the 65th. Week nine, the 54th. Uh, week 12, the 71st. So there was a little bit of volatility with Puka this year. But we have to remember, uh, not only was he a mid-round uh rookie this year uh this was his rookie year he was drafted in the middle of that draft uh he was also sharing the the spotlight as it were with uh cooper cup so the the volatility was to be expected uh what i don't think uh that was expected were the uh the seven top 10 finishes uh, and those additional two on the cusp of being wide receiver one finishes. So he put together a very strong season. Um, and he is a very strong candidate for the waiver wire stud. Um, our next candidate was Kyron Williams, also of the Rams, who on the season finished with 239 uh, fantasy points. And to me, what is more exciting, more interesting about Kyron is that there were one, two, three, four, five games on the season where he did not dress uh, and he still put up RB1 type numbers. Um, On the season here, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight RB1 weeks. Uh, And then he had two weeks where he was uh, RB11 and RB18 respectfully. So when he was healthy, when he played, he was almost assuredly a RB1 uh, on the week. Very impressive for somebody that probably going into the season, not many people were counting on. Uh, the next candidate, somebody that Jordan, you'll be very fond of, uh, and that is Sam Laporta. Um, the rookie tight end for the Detroit Lions. Uh, Not only was he a revelation for the Lions offense, he was a revelation for the fantasy community as he finished the season as tight end one. Uh, I believe a few weeks ago, we had a discussion about which tight end could sneak into tight end one territory 
I don't think anybody talked about Laporta because even mid-season, he was somebody that was already in that tight end one category. Um, Laporta finished as uh, tight end one in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games. Uh, and then he had a, uh, a number 12, a number 16, and then number seven, two number 17, and a number 15 finish. Uh, keep in mind, those those numbers aren't as impressive for a tight end, uh, at least not in my opinion, but he did have one, two, three weeks where he was the tight end one that week across the league. And then uh, this one, I want to put a bit of an asterisk beside it, uh, is Nico Collins. I think in a a good number of drafts, especially drafts with 12, 14, 16 teams. Um, he was likely drafted uh, maybe in a in a regular uh, 10 team, certainly not in a regular eight team league was he drafted, but there's a chance that he may have been drafted in a, a number of leagues. But if he wasn't, he's still a very deserving candidate as he finished with 220 fantasy points uh, with a number of top 10 finishes on the week. One, two, three, four, five uh, top 10 finishes with uh, an additional top 11 finish on the week. So uh, four very deserving candidates. Um, and I think a theme for all of them is, is youth. These are players that uh, for whatever reason, uh, going into the season, whether it was their place place on the depth chart or their relative uh, lack of experience in the league, weren't being uh, counted on by the fantasy community. But by the end of the season, uh, I think all of these players will arguably be uh, early round draft picks come August and September. Yeah, all of them. Like, I think I was looking at, like, the Porto will be a top three round, probably pick. Kyron Williams made probably a first round pick, if not a early second. Puka, it's first, first, second round turn. Like, Nico Collins will probably be the later ADP on, on here, but not a slouch by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Next award here I got is the biggest week. And, like, a lot of things go in this factors where it's like, you know, maybe the matchup was a tough matchup. Maybe it was uh, in the fantasy playoffs, what have you. Or maybe it's just the fact that the numbers are astronomical. Uh, but it goes by the biggest week. And I got four players here. The first is DJ Moore. And DJ Moore in week five went nuclear when they, I believe, were they 0-4 at this point? I believe they were 0-4 at this point. And they played Washington. And everybody's like, oh, Washington should get this one taken care of. The Bears are awful. I still remember watching this one because they, I think they were up 24 points in the first quarter. Or 17 points in the first quarter. Maybe I can't remember. Uh, but he had 10 targets, 8 receptions, 230 yards, and 3 touchdowns. Went absolutely nuclear for 45 points against Washington. Uh, got it early on and kind of got DJ Moore back on track a little bit. <clears throat> great, great, great performance. Next one we're going to talk about is week three against Denver. That is Devon Achan. And he went nuclear for sure. Uh, 18 carries. 18 carries, 203 yards, and two touchdowns. Insane. Now, and on top of that, had four targets, four receptions for 30 yards, and another two touchdowns. So at a total of 233 yards and four touchdowns, his second ever game his first game against the Chargers, he didn't play. Against New England, he had very limited, and by limited, I mean one target and one carry attempt, and then just goes bananas against Denver in week three. Next one is Christian McCaffrey, and you could have used quite a few of his weeks, uh, one of them being Arizona week 15 when he put up three touchdowns, but the biggest week he had was when he played Arizona the first time in week four. 20 attempts for 106 yards and three touchdowns, as well as another eight targets, seven receptions, 71 yards, and another touchdown. 
four touchdowns against Arizona in week four. And then in week 15 goes another three against them. So Chris McCaffrey, a couple big ones, but the biggest was coming against Arizona week four. And then one of the biggest wide receiver performances of the season also happened to come in the fantasy playoffs and just destroyed my soul uh, was Amari Cooper against Houston in week 16. Uh, this one was awesome. This was a Joe Flacco going for the record book with Amari Cooper kind of game. 15 targets, 11 receptions, 265 yards, and two touchdowns for 46 points. Uh, single-handedly won a lot of people their semifinal matchups uh, and was one of the biggest performances of the year. So that wraps out the biggest performances, uh, the four possible uh well, I guess the four nominations for uh, big, big performers on the year. Uh, next one we got on the on the docket, uh, Zach is taking care of the Playoff Hero Award. So to me, the Playoff Hero uh, has to have two things. You need to have, for sure, top 10 finishes, multiple top 10 finishes um, throughout the fantasy playoffs, which are typically weeks 15, 16, and 17 but beyond those that that consistency is also very important um for me a fantasy or rather a playoff hero is somebody that it's going to be predictable and it's going to be dependable so uh our first nominee was cmc who you uh had mentioned previously um cmc week 15 was the rb1 which is absolutely outstanding. You love to see it as a as a manager. Uh, week 16, RB2. So there are your uh, two uh, top 10 finishes for an RB. But then week 17 championship weekend uh, ha- is the RB22 uh, on the week, uh, which is certainly an outlier for him. Uh, moving on to the next nominee, Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams, week 15 was the RB5. Uh, week 16, the RB11. And week 17, the RB1. So not only is there the two uh, top 10 finishes, but the the other week, uh, top 11, is still very dependable. So it's dependable and consistent. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, week 15 was the wide receiver five, week 16, uh, the wide receiver eight, and week 17, the wide receiver seven. So all three weeks in the playoffs was a top 10 finisher at his position. Uh, Very consistent, very dependable. And our last nominee is James Connor. Uh, Connor in week 15 was RB11. Week 16 was RB5. And week 17 was the RB3. So again, uh, like Amon Ra, like Kyron, consistent and dependable. That's. Uh... That's one I'm having the hardest time with because I think it's going to come down to who did you have on your team? Because really all four of these guys are very deserving. Uh, the one uh, Christian McCaffrey, you know, finishes 22nd gets injured, not, you know, not a fault of his own, but if you're in the championship, it killed your team. Like that, there's no ifs, ands, mm-hmm. or buts about it. And then the rest of them were just studs, like studs. I don't know. It's at that one. I'm going to be very interested to see how the, the votes get distributed there, but I, I very much think it's going to be who did you have on your team? And that's, who's going to get your vote. So um, the next award I got is the draft a sleeper award. And this is somebody, you know, like we talked about before that's a waiver wire stud. Some of those late round picks or guys that didn't get drafted that really bolstered your team. This is very similar, but it's the guys that had high production, but were very late round picks and, and helps your team immensely. So, uh, there's lots of guys that could have fit into this category, but narrowing it down to four was a bit of a task. In the, and here's our four. The first one is we have James Cook. James Cook was the RB29 taken overall. Uh, that'd be right around the 703 in most drafts. Um, had 
a pretty good season overall. It was a little bit up and down, much the same as a lot of other players. But when you get a player that's in the seventh round and he produces the points that he did, it's a little bit of a slow start, eight, then 17, 12, 14, three, seven, 17, and then a little bit of a slow little gap there. But then when it came down to getting into the playoffs against KC in week 14, 22.6, and then in your quarterfinal matchup against Dallas, just smashes for 35 points. Um, a guy that finished as the RB11 on the season, but you got uh, a very good value when he was going as the RB29 on the season. Um, another one that we're going to talk about was one of my favorite picks we talked about in the, I'm not trying to give any biasy, but when we talked about some of the guys that were really good values in the season, I talked about this guy, uh, I think it was week 12, incredible value. And that's Mike Evans. He was being drafted at the wide receiver 33, uh, approximately the 706, depending on what your league settings were. And this is a guy that's never had a season without a thousand yards receiving. And he finished as the wide receiver five. He was taken as the wide receiver 33 and finished as the wide receiver five. Uh, he was very, very good throughout the year. 15 points, 26 points, 15 points, 17 points, 12 points, 23 points, 14 points, 22 points, 25 points, 24 points. He was just consistent, consistent and high, high fantasy finishes. Um, when you get a value like the wide receiver 33 and you get him at the wide receiver five, uh, that screams a draft day sleeper. <clears throat> now his teammate is also on this list as Rashad White. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, RB 27 taken around the 610 uh, right around that 67 turn uh had a really good finish another guy we talked about that was like hey you know do you think he's having a good year i don't know well how about uh, let's look at his fantasy finish because it just felt like he was sneaking up on you and uh he was taken as the rb29 finishes as the rb7 on the season PPR'd his way to some magic, especially in some big ones. 20 points, 20 points, 16 points, 16 points, 25 points. Um, he was very good, very dependable, and once again, a draft day value. And last but not least, uh, the what was maybe considered as the second option in the backfield, possibly even the third option in the backfield, was Raheem Mostert. Drafted as the RB37, right around the 811. So right around the 8-9 turn. Raheem Mostert did nothing but impress, finishing as the running back number two on the year, uh, and fortunately missing week 17. Uh, he had big weeks, uh, 25 points, 41 points, 14 points, 32 points. Um, but then he also had a couple of lower ones where he didn't get the you know the touchdown, nine points, uh, five points, four points, but had that immense superior high production uh possibility and capability in that uh, miami offense uh so a guy that you you know you drafted as the 37th running back overall in, in the eighth or ninth round and finishes as the rb2 is uh is, is incredible value as in a, in a big time draft day sleeper uh our final award our final award zach it is the fantasy mvp uh, so maybe talk a little bit about what this means and then our four possible candidates this uh, this fantasy season. This one will be interesting, kind of like we uh, we talked about the, the playoff hero. Uh, to me, this one could go in a lot of different ways. Uh, and that's because I think a lot of people will view uh, fantasy MVP differently. Uh, to some, it might simply be where did you finish? Were you at the top of your position? Um, were you always near the top of your position each week? Um, were you somebody that was near the top of the position, but offered really, really good value, which really enhanced um, your specific team with them on it? Or is it something in between or something totally different? Um so for each of you, that's for you to decide. Uh, but the people that we nominated, the players that we nominated are as follows. Uh, Kyron Williams, running back four on the season, uh, averaged 19.8 points per game. We talked about him earlier on as a waiver wire stud and as a playoff hero. Uh, as somebody that was undrafted or likely undrafted, and if you drafted him, you likely made it to the playoffs and you may have made it 
through the playoffs successfully because of the points that he produced for you in the playoffs. Uh, conversely to him is the next nominee, CM, CMC, the running back one on the season. Now, the difference between him and Williams is CMC was likely a top three draft pick, probably top three at the very worst in most drafts. Uh, he did finish as the RB1 with 22.2 points per game. And he does have a strong argument as somebody that you took early on in the draft. Uh, and if you made the playoffs, he was likely able to get you to the, the final with his top one and top two finish in weeks six or 15 and 16. But then in week 17, left a lot to be desired with the uh, 22nd overall finish for running backs. Um, another uh, deserving nominee would be Raheem Mostert, who finished as the running back two on this season with 16.6 points per game. Uh, this was somebody that drafted later on in most drafts, like you just mentioned, as the running back 37 um, off the board. Uh, he dealt with some injuries uh, throughout the season, so maybe that might have lessened his impact on, on matchups, or maybe that stung you in a matchup if you were counting on him and he didn't play much or at all that game. And our last nominee was C.D. Lamb, wide receiver one on the season uh, with 19 points per game. Uh, somebody that I feel was fairly dependable and consistent throughout the season, um, offering some really big weeks, but by and large, uh, right around what you would expect for the number one wide receiver on the season. And the nice thing about Lamb is you didn't have to pay the wide receiver wide receiver one price on the year. You certainly had to pay up for him either first round or very early second round draft capital, but he wasn't uh, among the the early early picks in the first round. He wasn't in that same conversation as uh, Jefferson, Chase, uh, CMC, and Eckler. So all four deserving candidates uh, and all, all four of them kind of represent different paths to what one person may uh, define as the fantasy MVP. Now this, this one, I think, and the playoff one are going to be the two most interesting just because they're like the other ones, there's maybe more clear cut candidates or at least like a, a top two, um, maybe in some of the other words, but these ones like the playoff one, I think for sure any of the four could win, depending on, like I said, who you had, I guess. And this is a very similar one too. Like, who did you have? What do you consider? Like you said, do you consider just the best finisher is the best finisher? Do you consider uh, the value, all those types of things? Like last year we had, I think, a tight end one in here. We had a QB one. We had an RB one. And then I think we had an RB two. Uh, what was our, our possible MVPs? And this year, it's a little bit different just because we have the RB1, the RB2, but very different stories of how they got there. QB or uh, wide receiver one, like you said, a little bit of a value. And then uh, we also have the, uh, excuse me, the uh, RB4. But the fact that he was the RB4 is incredible because of the points per game. So this one could be really interesting. But uh, regardless, we will wrap up this episode just with a couple pointers, a couple reminders. Uh, Trading bracket challenge going really, really well. Uh, we're down to the nitty gritty, the top X amount of teams. Matt Roberts still holding on to the number one seat, but his uh, his team has been eliminated. And with the champion, like when you pick the champion correctly, you get two points. So there's lots of movement that can happen. We've got number one, Matt Roberts. My mom is at number two, uh, could finish as number one. Darcy Bears tied at two, but cannot move. So he's stuck at nine points. My dad is at number eight. Once again, can move, but can be stuck. Uh, I got stuck at eight with the Lions being out. Lexi stuck at eight with the with the Ravens being out. Harmon at seven. And then we've got a few other teams that are still well and alive, including Zach. You're at six points, but your team is still alive. So the charity bracket challenge, uh, once again, was a huge success. Some great money going to charity and some great prizes to be won. 
um, which reminds me about the Super Bowl watch party. The teams are set. The event has been posted on Facebook and Instagram. It's all ready to go. You can go on there, like the page, ask questions if you have questions. We're going to start posting some of the prizes as they come in. All of the uh, signed memorabilia is locked, loaded, ready to go. All the prizes are 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 awesome. They look great. I put the picture of the uh, signed Keenan Allen helmet in there. Oh, man, it's just crisp. It looks great. Uh, I could definitely tell you where all my raffle tickets are going to be going is uh, is in that box for sure. But mark the calendar, Super Bowl Sunday. We're hoping that uh, we'll see you all there. So um, I guess we'll wrap this one up here um, by just reminding you to go on social media. You'll be able to vote for all these award winners or the uh, all the nominees for who you think should win the award. And uh, I guess we have a week without football. The Pro Bowl's fun. I know it's not necessarily what we always used to think of it, but I've come to enjoy some of the, you know, the, the flashy stuff, the dodgeball. It's it's a it's a good time so regardless thank you for listening everybody take care um and let's let's talk soon